Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michael, and thank you for joining me on this sports podcast as we have a lot to discuss today. Great show planned, two special guests. First up, Gunnar Ludwig. It's been a while since we've chatted with him, former NFL Network co-worker. We break down a lot of football, the Lions, and his Matt Patricia Ranch. You're going to want to hear that from a real Lions fan. I talk about Freddie Kitchens, the Browns' struggles, who's going to be the AFC emerging playoff team, and what to make of the NFC. We also go on in a little bit about the quarterback situation, the pecking order of who's really elite in this NFL, and some UFC thoughts as well. Always good to chat with Gunnar Ludwig. And then, switching it up, talking tennis with Nina Pantic, host of the Tennis.com podcast, reoccurring guest on this show. She's the managing editor at Tennis.com as well. We break down the year that was 2019, the big three winning all the majors, actually Nadal and Djokovic winning them all. Will Federer bounce back? Will Serena finally get to major number 24, Coco Goff's emergence? A lot of stories in the world of tennis. Always a pleasure to talk with Nina about that. It is the Money Mitch Effect, December 12, 2019. Let's start the show. Oh, Money Mitch Effect back again. Gunnar Ludwig. It's been a while. It has. Glad to be back, Mitch. I know we were going to focus on football, we are, but the baseball news is, is really getting good in the last couple of days. Well, last year I kind of disappointed when like nobody signed until everyone forgot baseball exists. You know, this year it just kind of exploded right out of winter meetings, right? So yeah, um, it, it's it's obviously something interesting's going on there. With, with but um, but but yeah, I mean it's cool to see uh, guys kind of flying off the board and um, teams ponying up big money. It's exciting for baseball to be talked about in the off season. Yeah, it almost feels like um, we're also seeing these playoff runs as a launching pad. Like, what does Rendon get if he doesn't just absolutely shred, especially in the World Series? I mean, right. he's taking $245 million. Strasburg's another one just to go back home to D.C. Right. So, I mean, I think it's good. And I think uh, I think the baseball offseason, the problem that you're going to have, like, I'm, as an Indians fan, you know, like, we're just going to lose everybody, starting with Lindor, and it's just terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's something that, as Cleveland and Detroit fans, we just tend to accept in all of our sports, that... <laughs> right, right. We have the guy, we have the guys that we draft. Uh, you know, it, yeah. So you have the best rotation in baseball, and then five years later, they've all won rings. Yeah, I, I, for the last like five years, all I've been doing is watching Tigers win World Series for other teams. <laughs> and then you'll have that fan from that team, you know, the National. Well, aren't you happy to see Scherzer? No, I'm not. I don't give a shit. It's not my team. <laughs> you know, it's not like yeah. we know these guys. I'm not yeah. friends with Max Scherzer. No, yeah. I'm happy for him, sure. Exactly. People get upset when you're like... I, There's guys to be happy well. for on the other team, too. Could, I want my be, team yeah, to win, It could be good enough to just not hate someone, right? Like, you don't have to... We don't have to say, like, oh, I'm so happy for someone. I like Max Scherzer. Yeah. You're not rooting with him. You're not actively rooting against him. I would have liked him more if he re-signed long-term with the Tigers. But <laughs> oh, that's how man. sports works. We it don't is. like these guys for any reason other than they wear our uniforms. That's it, yeah. <laughs> like, we don't have to just hate them unconditionally. But don't make me love someone or even like someone unconditionally. Yeah, either. I mean, I don't necessarily blame them for leaving Detroit and Cleveland because that's what we did, right? <laughs> yeah, a little less money involved in yeah. our ends. But... Slightly less money. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, but yeah. anyway. So, what's the Rendon contract like? Seven, seven years, I think. For for what is he? Two forty five. So Jesus over thirty a year. Yeah. Money. Yeah, and the projections I looked at. So, I mean, he turned down. That was the big news last year. He took he turned down like one eighty, one seventy five for about the same. So that year, I mean, bet on yourself to that extent and made another sixty mil. Well, and to that note, like I saw some Cleveland sports writer, and I don't, I, I wasn't too familiar with him on Twitter, saying um, 
well, the Indians offered uh, Lindor a hundred million dollar extension. Why wouldn't if obviously he doesn't want to say there otherwise otherwise he would have signed that. It's like we all no. know Lindor's not signing for a hundred. Like if, well, if, the, if the Indians wanted to keep him that bad, they would have given him three hundred. That's what it takes to keep these guys these days. It makes no sense for most athletes, mostly baseball players, to sign these extensions. Or unless you're going to get a Mike Trout extension that's just four hundred million. Yeah, or whatever. yeah. Unless the because money the off season is... is going to be where it's at. You're going to have all these suitors. And you're going to have agents like Scott Vorez that are going to drive the price up, up and say what you want about him. But he did that masterfully with Garrett Cole, where he got everybody in bidding against themselves and made the Yankees go to the well for $324 million on that right. contract. Well, now, the, the Yankees are, despite how much they're paying, it seems like their, their bank account's kind of endless. So, you know, and they're getting a the probably the best pitcher in baseball right now just kind of hitting his prime. Yeah. Uh, I, what is he, in his mid-20s? I think he's late twenties. I think he's about twenty eight. So oh, you're okay. gonna go. So you're he's gonna a go. Than I thought, but but still, yeah. just entering his prime. I love Rendon as a player, but he's had kind of a solid career, and then he just has that spike season. <laughs> mm-hmm. This this is such an Angels move. <laughs> well, that's why every this Angel has, fan is like so C.J. Josh Wilson, isn't it? C.J. Wilson, Albert Pujols contract. Like they have to. And this is all to work for the Angels fans. They have to just start winning games immediately, and then they won't really think about the back end. But if they have another year where they're 500, miss the playoffs before we get to October, before we get to September. Yeah, who's going to give a shit about it? Yeah, it's, you know. No, I'm not supposed to swear on this It's fine. Yes, no. That's only two S-bombs, really. We're, we're, <laughs> we're at a good pace right now. Uh, but Cole, good for him and all these uh, ex-Astros, though. I just got to wonder how they're going to pitch when they're not in that cheating system anymore. Yeah. I had to get that dig in there. I had to. That's to true. The Astros. Yeah. It fell apart for him this year anyway. So. Yeah, when the garbage came this morning, I thought there was some off-speed pitches being called because yeah. there's a lot of banging going on. But be that <laughs> well, as well, it may. Well, speaking of cheating, we can transition <laughs> to the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, there was a lot of different ways we could have started this. I wanted to just talk about the storylines as we're in December now going into the playoffs. But it wouldn't be December Patriot football without a cheating scandal. So let's just get this out of the way with what the Bengals did. Yeah, I'll admit I haven't <laughs> looked into this one too much yet. Um because I don't really care, but um, it's still it's hilarious. It's odd. It's just it's, it's, it's an odd thing to do. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as saying cheating. I mean, I joke when we say that, but why would be the point? And it just seems very preventable and just meaningless. Like, what are, what are we doing here? It's funny to me that that Belichick is is even pushing the envelope of what may or may not be cheating to beat the Bengals. Like they that, even, yeah. that, that's how deep <laughs> like he's, he's really concerned he, that's how Bill Belichick Bill Belichick is that he goes into a game against one of the worst football teams we've seen this decade as far as how they perform I know they're coming off a win right but no, no, uh, yeah, a recent win rec- yeah. they, they, they won in a month the Bengals have won yeah. in the last six games that's yeah, coming that's off a win, a win yeah. as far as they're concerned so uh, you know and they've got feisty Andy Dalton back in there um, but, but yeah, it just makes me think of, like, the on to Cincinnati thing from several years ago. He's just obsessed with the Bengals. Do you think also it could be, and I'm not going to say, you know, total total issue and, and go conspiracy theory here, but do you think there could be some of, like, they love having everybody against them? I don't know if they cause this directly, but I think they're thinking, all right, look, everybody hates us again. This is great. We need the, we need those moments where the outside world says we hate the Patriots. They're I like almost that dead. theory. Where they're almost trying to get caught, or or it could even be they're trying to get caught with some minor cheat while they're doing some much bigger cheating 
on the side. We're just, they're distracting us with the minor cheating. I mean, they were cheating in broad daylight in this regard. They just walked right into the Browns media room and just started filming the bagels like from the sideline, <laughs> which they said it was a production ops, ops team. I don't know. It's just a bizarre story, and it's masking. Yeah, they're doing a, a feature for the Patriots.com yeah. on the Bengals' sideline. Belichick's like, I don't know these dudes. That's basically what he said in his yeah. press conference. Yeah, he like, has nothing to do with that one. Can't wait to see uh, their their media team and what they're working they on. They probably self, you know, the best theory is that they self-reported this under the table, anonymous tip, because they didn't want it to get out about how bad they've been playing the last couple weeks. There you go. You know, that would be my favorite theory. Uh, see, that, you do, that reminds me, like, there was a South Park episode years ago um, about, about kind of the 9-11 conspiracy theorists. And it, it proposed that maybe George Bush, George W. Bush, um, didn't have anything to do with 9-11, but just wanted people to think that he did to That's fear how far. powerful. The, this is kind of what you're proposing. Yeah, that, yeah. Like, if we want to do this, we can. We're the patriots. We can find a way to cheat the system. You know, we want you to think that we're cheating the system all the time. So you're just kind of panicking on the sideline, like 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 yeah. uh, like John Harbaugh. You know, when when he's sitting there wondering if their weird plays are legal or not, and he's looking through the NFL rule book while Belichick's out there Belichicking him. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for all those conspiracy theories being somewhat plausible uh, on the field. Though the Pats have just been not good recently. No, they haven't. We can't we can't pronounce them dead because it's like Jason in a horror movie. Like they're just not dead until they are actually you're standing over them, killing them. But it has it doesn't look good, Gunner, and they just don't have playmakers. I mean, that's what I what I see when I watch this team play. The defense has faltered a little bit. But I look at an offense that just can't really create big plays without, oddly enough, some of those trick Belichick, Josh McDaniels plays. Lost to the Chiefs, lost to the Ravens. I think, for me, it seems a little worse that they're losing to some of these teams that are that are threats. It would almost be better if they lost to the terrible Miami team like they've done in the past. Right. Yeah, I can see that. But 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 still, you got to kind of harken back to, you know, look at the teams that they lost to. And if it wasn't the Patriots, would it be that big of a deal? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, the Packers have taken some pretty bad losses recently. A lot of top teams are going to lose some winnable games. So I, I don't know what to make of it because it's the Patriots. But, but at the same time, it, you know, Tom Brady, he doesn't look washed, but he doesn't look like a dominant quarterback lately. And, yeah. um, and, and part of it's the weapons around him, obviously. Um, but, but they just, you know, if... I always kind of think of it as if you just waltzed in to watch their last few games and you hadn't had been in, you know, frozen for the last 10 years and, <laughs> and you hadn't watched Tom Brady and didn't know who he was, I guess it would have to be like 30 years. <laughs> Not even 20. <laughs> you have to go longer than 20 yeah. at this point. Yeah. 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 Frozen for 25 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this old guy that looks young playing yeah. quarterback. Yeah, wasn't he that guy who was well, mediocre in Michigan? I think I look at other sports, right, and you see – teams that are at the tail end of let's say dynasties or championship runs a lot of the times we're looking at who are the contenders to really put these teams out the pasture and for a while and even even this year you can look at the depth of the conferences where the nfc is a little stronger we've had a tough time anointing or finding who that second team in the afc is so i think part of that is the ravens have looked so good the last two months the chiefs are trying to get back to form and they get that big win over the pats in new england so we finally got some real contenders too that we're thinking are legitimate super bowl possible winners. So and I think Chiefs, that's part of it. Despite that their overall season's been a little disappointing, um, they still have the team on paper. They still have, 
you know, possibly the most dangerous quarterback in the league if he's healthy going into the postseason and, and ready to go. Yeah. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is putting himself in that discussion. But, but you know, so the Chiefs, to me, have always been – you look at the standings and, and they're not jumping out at you when you're trying to pick who could be a contender. Um, but then you kind of remember who they are. And, and, and I, I've still felt like they could make a run this year. It hasn't felt like their year. Mm-hmm. However, you know, this win could maybe – Give, give them a lot more momentum, and, and we'll see how they finish the season. That defense is just – I mean, it, it played well against the Patriots. I want to give them credit there. But we've had a couple games, at least one or two this year, where Mahomes has thrown for 400 yards and they've lost. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I think that's why we're having a tougher time seeing can the Chiefs run the gauntlet, not just through the Patriots, with the defense that has to win some big football games. The way the Ravens are doing it, it it's pretty scary because – you know, everyone wondered about Lamar Jackson's NFL future. He doesn't have to be that accurate the way the offense is going. No, and he has been pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, it's so, just... It, it's, he leads the NFL in touchdown passes. Insane. That blew my mind the other day it's when insane. I saw that. I, I, you know, I, I, I knew his stats are insane. I knew he's throwing the ball well enough and, and an incredible runner. Um, man, I, I had no idea that he would become this kind of player. A lot of it, I mean, we've, we've harped on it, but the Ravens, how they built that team around him, too, they're just, it's just phenomenal. You yeah, had a guy like Ingram, you had running backs, you, you draft Hollywood Brown, a deep threat, the tight end Andrews, and, and defensively, their attention to detail to get back to you know, the overlooked part in all this, all due respect to Lamar Jackson, the Ravens' defense wasn't very good the last couple of years. No. And now they're back to being uh, very, very formidable. And they had a few games earlier in the season where they really struggled against the Chiefs, and then they, they, they got housed by the Browns. So that was when it was yeah. looking like, is this, you know, the Chiefs game obviously will give them a little bit of a pass because that was, you know, Mahomes was still going kind of full And they put up points time. in that game. I mean, yeah, it was, exactly. It was a back-and-forth yeah. game. Uh, but then the next week they, they, you know, they play the Browns and, and the defense looks terrible again. So there was a little bit of an alarm. But since then, they've just been lock, locking it down on both sides of the ball. Um, it, it's it, it's really interesting um, that, you know, the, the league was going so pass happy, offense first, defense was kind of like a side note the last few years. And, and when that crazy Rams-Chiefs game last year, the whole the whole notion and everybody around the NFL was saying this is the NFL now this is the future of the league and and now we're seeing all the best teams the most dominant teams in the league this year have been kind of boring old school well, outside of Lamar Jackson not yeah, being boring well, but but just yeah. you know on paper boring run the ball and beat you with defense teams it started with the Patriots that you're going to win the Super Bowl being that boring yes team. yeah it did and it think... started with the Super Bowl carried over to that uh, Green Bay <laughs> Chicago game at yeah. the beginning of this just kept rolling yeah. kept rolling well I wanted to talk about some other storylines here with Gunnar Ludwig on the Money Mitch effect uh, I think there hasn't been a bigger lock for comeback player of the year than Ryan Tannehill yeah all of a sudden where did this come from yeah I just kind of noticed that that's going on like I I, you know I I was just looking at looking at the standings and and looking at some teams recent schedules and what did they won five of the last six six of the last seven something like that five of six and it pretty much lines up directly with him being the new starting quarterback uh you know they benched Mariota in a Broncos game that they got shut out at where Tannehill came in didn't look great but you're coming in relief against the good D the games well, he started, they've been great. Also, and not only that, he's been the mo- he's had the best QBR in football in that run. Wow, that's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, how many? How great would Ryan Tannehill have to play for? How long? And how many games would the Titans have to win for anybody to care about Ryan Tannehill and the Titans? Because <laughs> oh, honestly, Gunner, unless it was if it wasn't the Patriots brand. The Titans are the third best team right now, the way they've been playing in the AFC. Yeah, over the last but few But no weeks. one would put them third over the Patriots because we're looking at 
meaningful playoff football. Right, and it just seems so inevitable that they're going to go nine and seven at best that we all just think they're going to lose the next four games. I mean, beat the do the yeah. It's just it's just just like some some scientific equation says that the Titans can't be better than nine and seven. Tannehill looks like a legit dual threat right now, which is scary. And I think the best thing we could do is just blame the Dolphins for just somehow messing up his situation. Yeah, you don't even have to expand on that. Just blame the Dolphins. Dot dot dot. It's funny because (laughs) Vrabel is the Titans coach. It's like a roller coaster. I'm high in him one week. I think he's the worst coach in football the next. I feel like he's one of those guys that thrives when the expectations are off of him. It's like, yeah. what are you going to do with Ryan Tannehill? And he just goes on a four-game win streak. But when the team is expected to win some games, it seems like they blow it. Yeah, that has been the the note with Vrabel. Is you're right. The last couple of years that he's been there, whenever you start to get excited about him, they lose to a terrible team. And then when you write them off and say that they're a boring, nothing team and Mariota's not going anywhere and now Tannehill... And, and Derrick Henry was running people over again. He's another guy that yeah. he has flashes where it it's just great. happened one week at the end yeah. of last year. And then For five weeks going. a year, he's like the best running back <laughs> yes. in football. But you don't know which five those are going to be. Yeah. You kind of have to just figure that out. But, yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, I guess you could say the same thing with Vrabel about O'Brien and Houston. Yeah. Just when we start to heat praise on them, you yeah. just lay massive eggs like against the Broncos at home. So Yeah, and, you know, uh, this, this season has been kind of quiet since – uh, since the Antonio Brown mayhem at the beginning of the year, it's been kind of slow. It's been an exciting NFL season, but it's been kind of slow in terms of storylines, right? Mm-hmm. Juicy storylines. So, like that, we're we're kind of like looking for something to latch onto right now. I think the biggest one that that people are forcing out is um, should Lamar Jackson sit this week. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Have you been hearing that take? I, you know, I think I read it. But I, I'm I pretty sure it, it, I, it was all I over was ESPN like a something. day ago. I think, I'm think i guessing, I'm just going to guess that Stephen A. or somebody like that said it. So then everyone on ESPN for like a day and a half just reiterated it because that's what they do when things slow down storyline-wise. So everybody was talking about, like, we figured this out decades ago. You don't bench your, your players until you have the number one seed locked up. I know. That, that just, that just, what are you going to throw away your body? The Jets have to be feeling great about that. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what do you, I mean, what, who would do that? So that, that was one that was getting cycled a lot on ESPN that I got a kick out of. That's just another evidence of people at NFL Network being bored and, and people at ESPN being bored and coming up with something yeah. to talk about. You don't sit them until... I mean, he's going to win the MVP this year, so they're not going to sit him unless they absolutely have to. No, that's another good point. Uh, he is the favorite, but I, I still think Russell has a chance he does, to win it if he were to sit. Jax would have a few bad games. Yeah, Russell the numbers could steal really, I, I still don't know that he would just because regardless what the numbers end up like Lamar's are going to be insane and it's just he's it's been his season right much like last yeah. season was Mahomes mm-hmm. like yeah. it, it just it's been the thing with it's, it's yeah, been the I Lamar just, Jackson man, season the, the rust thing with me uh you know what is it eight straight years all above 500 all probably going to be 10 game 10 wins a year I mean the guy is just incredible yeah and since those, those and I don't think that were, team's that good no like, they're, they're <laughs> very mediocre since they kind of let all of the guys from the Legion of Boom era walk um, they've been pretty mediocre roster-wise, right? And and it, it, it's he's starting to fall into what much of Aaron Rodgers' career has been, where the team just kind of says, like, yeah, we're not going to put that much around you, but go make amazing things happen. And for a long time, I felt like Aaron Rodgers was the guy who was it's being asked to do the, the most with the least, and now Russell Wilson's being put in that category. There's not many, I don't know if, if any other quarterbacks in the league that could just be asked to do that and, and, and to go out there with kind of mediocre rosters around you and, and get your team in the playoffs and be a fringe contender. 
Yeah, and not only that, you're contending with the new juggernaut in all football, the Niners, who just emerged within within the last year. But he single-handedly gets it done on a lot of weeks. Uh, those have been some of the best storylines, Gunner, though. I'm going to let you vet now about Matt Patricia. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you need time to warm up? Yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> I you wanted know, to spring it on you for it to be raw. This is one this. that is really near and dear to me because I don't get everything or a lot of things right, but... You know, I hated the Matt Patricia hire two years. Before. I think we talked about that last time. I was on. as soon as Bob Quinn was hired as the the Lions uh, GM, um, I feared the rumors that he was going to hire Matt Patricia. And and there's nothing that frustrates me more. <laughs> I'm not the I'm not the I know more than than the no. the the management guys of in sports. Not. I'm the guy who gets frustrated when I do, and that's clearly what happened here. It, it, how could anyone have thought he was a good hire? What 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 representation? When what was he, the last game he coached? Oh, is that Eagles Super Bowl? Yeah, when he <laughs> when, when when he lost the Super Bowl for, for when Brady threw for five hundred yards and they lost because Matt Patricia's terrible. I mean, what like how many times did he get bailed out by Tom Brady? And how many times in the history of the Patriots and Bill Belichick's non-existent coaching tree? Have we learned, and even player tree, have we learned that if you tr- if you think that anyone other than Tom Brady or Bill Belichick is responsible for the Patriots winning, and you're going to bring them to your team and make you win, you're wrong. I mean, you're better off hiring Stephen Belichick. I wanted point. Mike Vrabel. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Just because his name was thrown in there, and he's not Matt Patricia. So I thought at least Matt, even though he wasn't necessarily didn't necessarily do great. In, in Houston, it was at least like, well, he at least knows what it's like to go to a team that mm-hmm. isn't the Patriots and doesn't have Brady and Belichick and, and struggle it out and go 8-8 eight and eight and try to figure things out. Just think how happy the Patriots were when he got taken away. Not Maybe not happy, but they weren't like, oh, we well, lost them. Their defense has <laughs> been 10 times as good since he left. You should get a 24-hour hire, uh, take back, a return policy, I think, if the other fan base that you hire away isn't upset. Yeah. That might be a good sign. I mean, that, like, everything. Hey, we made a like, mistake. he had the sexual assault thing come up. As soon as he got hired, it was just everything. Uh, and this year's just been a cruel kick in the groin because started out with some, was it 2 and one to start out? Or just, I think it was about that. Yeah, well, they were 2, yeah. 2-0-1. Two, yeah, two two and one. Two and one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tie. I, I was at the uh, the historic tie in Aaron Oh, you were there tie. too. I, I had a, uh, you know, uh, I should say my boss at Tennis Channel. Is that actually a Lions fan? He was born in Detroit, moved out here when he was young, and he was there. And he just said, "You know, leaving a tie is the weirdest experience it was ever. Really weird. You just walk out, no one knows what to do, no one's happy or sad. You just kind of leave like a concert ending." It was kind of like half Lions fans and half Cardinals fans, just because I think it's such a transplant city that you know mm-hmm. it's yeah. probably how Arizona games are. Um, and we were all kind of joyfully arguing about whose team gave away the game more. It, that's all it really was. It, it's and, and whose team is worse? It, we, there was no, there was no. We weren't angry at each other. It was very, you know, it, it was very friendly for the most part. And we were, I remember arguing with a few guys about uh, about who, yeah. who, 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 well, who wanted the tie. More. You know, it's like <laughs> you look at the stats. I mean, two on one to now three seven and one. I think, or would it be three eight and one now? I think there's four games left, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. We're at, we're at that point. Well, we're at a point now where Patricia, I saw the stat and I threw it out a couple weeks ago because it blew my mind in these te- in these games. The Lions have been leading in his two years in most of the games. They've had a lead in I think 80, 90% of them and they've won like five or six of them. I feel like they've led in every game like, my entire that's, life. That's, <laughs> that's, 
Like, I just, I look at him in these close games, and I just don't think he has any control. Now, no. now obviously, at this point, third-string quarterback, Stafford's back injury. No one's expecting him to do Stafford's great things. back thing. injury that, that Patricia tried to wipe under the table and get him to play with a broken back. Hey, uh, yeah, <laughs> coach, we might not be able to play the guy with six broken bones in his back. Okay, <laughs> fine. I know you're a tough guy with a gritty beard, but number two eventually you gotta, you got to tell your quarterback. Hey, but seriously, I can relate to this because my – Teams coaches, you know, Freddie Kitchens. And as yeah. we mentioned, that well, might be I, I the think, only guy worse than yeah, that. Yeah, I Patricia. think you have the only coach worse than my I mean, team. He's a bumbling idiot. Like He I'm just is a bumbling idiot. I, I think Patricia's got him a little bit beat on hateability. I think he's more hateable. Um, Ooh, uh, you know, I might have to take your word for it. I won't ever really fully understand yeah. from your perspective. I can just say for mine personally, this is the most I've ever disliked, like, a coach after a win, like even the games that we win, he doesn't handle the right way. Like you start to you start well, to see. Well, when you it, win yeah. a game and your best player uh, hits the <laughs> opposing quarterback yeah. in the head with his helmet, is that selfish? Is that selfish? Yeah, is that selfish of me to be like when that happened? I'm going to be. I was in the moment, like great. Now this is all anyone's going to talk about, and they're not going to talk about the win. Yeah, that was no, my that was, first I mean, reaction. My girlfriend's a Browns fan. Um, you know, uh, her dad does radio in Cleveland, so. Um, it was the same reaction there. And you beat the rival team, the team that no one talks about it anymore. No, not getting a team ready to beat a third string in that re in the return match between those two to beat a third string quarterback with all their skill guys out the way he handled certain things. And uh, a team that, 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 that they completely, you know, controlled the yeah. game in the, in the game in Cleveland. I mean the, the Browns, I don't remember what the final score was, but they pretty much dominated that game despite the score. They did. Uh, and it was pretty lopsided. Um, I, I just, you know, look at the last game against the Bengals. It's a prime example. And I've, I've vented enough about it. But the whole time they're playing the second half of the lead, we, we would not run the ball. He would not run the ball. He wants to keep throwing it, putting Baker out there, who I think at this point you clearly have to admit has regressed a little bit. No, oh, without a doubt. I, I actually think that one of the most surprising takeaways from this like, season yeah. is that Baker isn't getting buried more. <laughs> <laughs> he he was He's in every commercial in the offseason. Yeah. He was being paraded around as the future of the NFL. You know what it feels and he's, like? He's, he's had at best a C-plus year. Do you know you're being very You're generous. Yeah. Great. I would have liked to have you in high school with yeah. grading like that. Well, if, that's, uh, that, that was, that's the kind of grading that, that got me through high school, so I want to be equally generous. The uh, You know how frustrating it is to see him throw a pick or take a sack and lose it to a fumble, and then the Hulu commercial pops up yes. immediately after? Every time. he's Every time he makes a mistake, you see his hey, face in a commercial. Screw you, CBS. I know you're trying to do it. His pre-mustache face. It's actually clever, but yeah. yeah. it's uh, It's been bad. I mean, my point with Kitchens is like he... Being so adamant about calling the plays when it's clearly not working, you have Todd Monk in there that you brought in to be a specialist. What's he doing there if you're not gonna if you're just gonna call your same boring offense and get the same results? Well, how did they think it was a good idea? He was the running backs coach a year ago. Exactly. No one. If you if you we, we go back a year and a half ago and you pooled NFL GMs on will Freddie Kitchens ever be a head We'd coach. probably have the same odds as him. It would be, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I would say that if you pulled all the, you know, 32 GMs in the league, um, you know, about 28 of them would say no, and four of them would say, who the hell is Freddie Kitchens? <laughs> you gotta say that. It, there, there's, there's yeah. no. I mean, it's, it's so. And it's one thing if you're in a transition period like the Dolphins were this year to plug in a guy like Kitchens. 
But when you're when you're a team with high expectations and this is the year to strike and you just traded, you know, for Odell Beckham and you're going all in on this year, you got to get a good solid offensive mind who knows how to manage egos, who, you know, whether or not it's a guy who's been a head coach before, you need to get the right guy. And I think everybody knew Freddie Kitchens wasn't the right guy. He's a guy who looks and sounds exactly like a guy named Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> well, you heard my theory, uh, I don't think you've heard my theory about getting promoted too early. When you're a running backs coach in the same team, they were. I mean, they call him Freddie. Like, what have you ever called to see the Patriots say, "Hey, Billy, yeah, what do you want us time. to do?" So I just think that was part of it too. He wasn't ready yet. Probably a nice guy. Didn't really like him throwing his daughter under the bus about wearing the Steelers shirt. That was a little. Uh, oh, I missed that one. Yeah, they asked him about the shirt he wore. Again, why would you wear the Pittsburgh started it shirt out in public if you know you're going to get asked? I mean, just things that I don't think he's a terrible guy. I don't. I, mean, I don't wish mm-hmm. him bad things to him. But, he wears but if you're going to do that, you got to own up hard. Yeah, and he's just like, my daughter picked it out. I wore it. You know, I don't. Oh, okay, it's yeah. one of those things. Like, come on, you're the head coach. You either got to, if you're going to wear it, you got to, you got to, you got to wear it. Yeah, you know? Baker's so. the part that's kind of Baker's the part that's kind of uh, alarming at this yeah. point. And and we've seen these things play out before. There's certainly a version of it where next year he's really good again and he could have a very good career. That hasn't um, happened in Cleveland, though. No. <laughs> yeah, that's That version true. has not existed. No, no it hasn't, nor <laughs> has it happened in Detroit. So, um, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, um, you know, it's it's been a rough year for both of our teams. It usually is. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's, you know, the, the Patricia thing makes it so much harder for me, as I admit. It's just, I, I don't know if I can even do this for well, here's, another year. Here's the if, thing. If he's going to get fired. I Kitchens hope so, won't, but... though, unfortunately. I think they're going to bring him back for one more year. But I think Patricia goes... And then you actually hopefully <laughs> hire somebody good. I don't think it's as much of a lock as, as you think it is. They gave yeah. Bob Quinn the whole, you oh, know, no. the, the team. And, and if they're firing Patricia, they better fire Quinn too. Wow. And, you know, I don't want to see him hire a new coach if he thought hiring, you know, the fat bearded idiot who <laughs> who who makes Tom Brady's job harder is, is a good idea. Oh, wow. I mean, what just what what was the resume for for, no, for again, like roll the same thing I just said, roll back the clock a few years to to you know, just the, these people need to be better at their jobs. You need to think like what if what if what if what if Matt Patricia was the defensive coordinator for the Browns? Do you think you would have wanted to hire him as your head coach? What if he was the... Do you think just being next to Bill Belichick just right. rubs his greatness off onto you and, and now you can take that magic space dust of greatness over to Detroit? It's, it's, and, and all season they talk the Patriot way, the Patriot way, the Patriot way. No, you got to do it the Lions way. Nobody's ever won doing it somebody else's way. Right. No, you're right. It's, uh, it's very frustrating. I just want to tie back the whole point while we were talking about our bad coaches. It pains me to admit this. But Tomlin's the runaway coach of the year. Yeah, I mean, he's... He, and I just look, I watched that Brown-Steelers game a couple weeks ago, and I watched the guy on their sideline have everybody united, didn't matter who was out there, was going to find a way to win a game that you're outmatched in. So I'd ask you the same question you asked me, and the answer is probably none. How many times can you remember your team winning a game when they were outmatched? Where they just fought and um, fought. I can remember a few, but it wasn't because of good coaching. It was because okay, yeah, stupid I guess that's things happened. I guess that's the other way to <laughs> it put was, it. Yeah. It was because, you know, uh, that's, that's somebody a threw a terrible pick six and yeah. we kind of got lucky. You know, but one so, of those yeah. dogfight meaningful games. Like, I guess it's weird to be in the position where we actually had playoff chances going into that game. No, like four or five times yeah. in my lifetime I can think, man, the Lions won a game that they kind of got away with. <laughs> and then yeah. and then of all the times I thought of uh, the Lions 
losing a game that they outplayed their opponent for ninety oh, percent of, it, it flips. And and look, I was I was heavily blaming the refs on the Packers game because you got to kind of do that once a year just to get it out of your system. Yeah, and the refs sure. did screw the Lions big on that game. But then after doing some reflection, I'm like, well, if we weren't the Lions. That would just be some game where we caught a few rough calls and you bounce back and you win enough games to for not to matter. Exactly. If that game is going to ruin your whole season, then your team's not good anyways. And that's what happened. The team wasn't good anyways. They're better than Matt Patricia makes them look. But, you know, and, and it's rough because Matt Stafford was playing great this year. And, and that was kind of one thing that I think kind of gets lost in it is he was having a really solid year. Um, and, and, again, I mean, they, they traded Quandre Diggs for a fifth-round pick when the Lions were still in the playoff hunt. And, you know, you, 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 these are just things that winning teams don't do. No. They traded Golden Tate for a third-round pick last year. And you, you, you know, these are veteran players that are that are very good players. Yeah. If, if 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 Bill Belichick was trading Quandre Diggs, he would have gotten at least a third-round pick for him. He would have gotten at least a second-round pick for Golden Tate, or else he wouldn't have traded him. Or and, he would have just cut him if they had a serious problem. Like yeah, but they didn't. No, yeah, both these guys were, were, you know, leaders yeah, in the locker room. Exactly. Both these guys were. I mean, it was Twitter blew up with with Lions veterans, you know, complaining about about the coaching staff and the team getting rid of Diggs. I mean, how do you not know that's going to happen? Yeah. How are you so out of tune with your locker room that you don't realize this guy's a leader? And what how, what good does a fifth round pick do? You're going to punt again to get a fifth round pick next year? This guy, you know, he's in the upper echelon of safeties in the league. He's not not necessarily top five, but now he's killing it for Seattle because they make smart moves. And you, it's just no other team in the last couple years, unless it's something like the Patriots where they have a problem player, do you see a team that, you that's, know, yeah, that's before the deadline can make the playoffs is still very much in the playoff hunt. Like, what did and, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia <laughs> think that they have 10 guaranteed years here? And, that, and you mentioned problem player, and that's done only – that's sacrificing pure talent for the greater good. Yeah. Unless you have that situation, you should never be doing this. And then in the same year that they trade Golden Tate, they trade a draft pick for Snacks Harrison, and that was a good move. He was a good player that yeah. they could get for a few years. But the, this team, ever since Quinn's been there, in the last couple of years with Quinn and Patricia, they just can't decide whether they're going all in or or, or rebuilding. And you that's the worst thing a team can do in any sport, is be stuck in between committing mm-hmm. to this year and rebuilding. If you're going to rebuild, you got to trade Stafford and rebuild. You know, but if you're if you're going right. to go all in and try to win in, in at least build something in the like, second yeah. half of Stafford's prime, you should be adding good players, mm-hmm. not selling them for fifth round draft picks. What do the Lions <laughs> ever do with a fifth round draft pick? The, 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 the guy's not even going to make the team. They're going to draft some guy from Hawaii whose name I can't pronounce. He'll never play in the league, and then Diggs will make the Pro Bowl for several years in Seattle. We had a, we had a lot of touchdown passes against uh, San Diego. Yeah, they did it. They said they're trying to cut money. This is the same staff that re-signed him the last, the previous year. Why didn't you just not re-sign him? I love it. So well, that was good. That was good. I think you got it all out of your system. Then. It's not even close. But <laughs> well, I know it's, I know your pain as a Browns fan. And uh, before we kind of switch gears and talk a little fighting here, I do want to get your get your little prediction on who you think is going to be maybe in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, it's a tough year to predict. I like um, it though. I like having options. You know, and and I was kind of against the grain a little bit for a while. Um, I put a solid bet down at the beginning of the year for a Chiefs Rams Super Bowl, not looking great. Um, yeah, the Rams are a tough <laughs> one. I, I mean, they could still make the playoffs. There's a path And they there. could be feisty if they get in. They could but be a little then dangerous. You're, then, you're but just, then you're betting on Jared Goff. Yeah, and like, sometimes well, it's just not a team's year. You yeah. know, um, you know, I, I'm starting to think that it's kind of 
a house money year, and I, I think for a long time it did seem like it was inevitable that the Patriots were going to get back with that defense. Mm-hmm. It's not. I don't want to overreact to the last two weeks, but it, it's just the 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 way that the Ravens are steamrolling right now. I, I got to kind of go with them. I'm a little bit worried that I'll miss that pick because because Belichick's going to have more stuff up his sleeve when he plays them in the playoffs. You saw what that defense did yeah. to dismantle teams last year. Uh-huh. That Rams offense was unstoppable last year. Yeah. And, they, they, I mean, he completely stopped them in the playoffs. They, that much yeah. because Matt Patricia wasn't around. <laughs> That's probably up. what but, it was. Yeah. Um, NFC's tough, though, because... It's really tough. NFC playoffs are going to be a I, lot of fun. It's going to be great. I don't want to... I mean, the Packers at the two seed, they haven't really looked like invincible. I would love to pick the Packers, you know, for... It's kind of like the, the Kobe-LeBron championship that we never got that we yeah, always oh, wanted. Brady, I, I've been wanting that for a long about time. Brady Breeze? Yeah. I mean, that's um, another one. Yeah, I, I think... I wonder how their arms would look after another long season, and, and then that might be a little anticlimactic. But, yeah. but um, I don't... I just don't see... Again, I mean... I don't think that Packers team is that great. I, I oh. think they've been kind of slipping by. You look at what they've done. They've won by a lot of tight margins. They've had some pretty bad losses recently. On paper, they're not a great team. No. And 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 Aaron Rodgers is still very good. I still think he's one of the very best quarterbacks in the league, even though he hasn't been as dominant off the page lately. But, you know, he still doesn't turn the ball over. He's still going to keep in the game. Aaron Jones is a really good player, and those, those running backs they have are real good. But, you know... Um, there's just there's not a lot of great things about that roster outside of Rodgers. There's there's they're solid, and it just it, if the NFC wasn't as deep this year, I could see them because I could see Aaron Rodgers going off and beating a team, but to beat all those teams and make it the buy is going to be huge. That's that's a huge and thing look, if they took, can get it. It took me a long time to take the Niners seriously, and it's just they seem really tough to beat right now. In the way that you know, um, that the, their game last week it was, like, it was the best regular season game of the year. I just and my then question winning is, a way that we thought that they couldn't. I don't think I never looked at Jimmy G as as bad as some people, but my question being, as kind of a in the middle guy with this, is he going to play that well through the playoffs? No, but he might not need to. You know, the the thing is, he might if they play the Saints again, though. That's the thing. He might. But and the Sherman you know, injury was a tough one that happened at the end. Don't of that you game. see another like really depressing end to the Saints season that's been the trend the last few <laughs> I, years? I, I picked them the last couple years. Don't you see a, a dejected Drew Brees I, pulling his helmet off? What, what's what's off left? What, what's left? We've had the the miracle play. We've had the bad call. I think we might have Goodell hit someone, an unmask, hit someone with the chair or something. I think yeah. We're running out of ideas to screw the Saints. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 that's a good one. I don't know what else. I mean, I, I still feel like they're the best team. I might just keep saying that, and it might be, you know. Yeah, I think the Niners are the best team, and I didn't for a long time, um, in the NFC at least. And um, that defense is just so tough. I know the Saints were able to score on them, but people aren't going to be able to yeah. score on them that much. And even if they face the Saints again, I'm not. It'll be in San Francisco this time. Yeah, too. and I don't think the score is going to run up like that. I think that happened that week. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, that's the one time this year that a team's really gotten at that defense. Mm-hmm. And and I, now I'm I'm with you on Jimmy G. I don't hate him, but he's a pretty mediocre quarterback as far as I'm concerned. He's kind of middle of the pack yeah. as far as NFL starters go. Which is still good Every, enough if you have enough around him. Everybody wants to kind of overrate him or underrate him. It kind of irks me when people try to throw his name in the MVP case just because he's so handsome and he's on a really good team. Right. Like, we just want him to be the golden boy because we were convinced ourselves several years ago he would be. So, no, he, he's a solid quarterback, but he has been able the couple times that they've needed him to step up and, and really do something, he's been able to, to do it. So, um, you know, 
I, I think he can I think he can make plays when needed. And and let's face it, I mean, how like I was talking to some guys about this earlier today. There, there's a couple there's been a couple quarterbacks in recent NFL history that have been able to be great all the time, regardless of their circumstances. And then there's everybody else, you know. Yeah. So after the the Brady and even the elite Brady, should be reserved for five max. Like these are the elite guys. Yeah, yeah. And in, in any given year, it might only really be three or four, mm-hmm. you know. So and and after that, you every, you hear everybody get polarizing about their opinions of Kirk Cousins and 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 Dak Prescott. The thing is, is Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott are both pretty damn good quarterbacks. Yeah. They're just not all time great quarterbacks. They're not. They're not quarterbacks that you know. If if you're just if you're a you know if you're a a B quarterback to a B plus quarterback, then you're going to have some games where you look really bad. You might and have that, a year where you're Matt Ryan and yeah, you're at that level. You, you so. might have that if you're that you know. Unless you're an all time great quarterback, those are the guys that even when their team isn't isn't very good around them and their circumstances aren't great, they can still be great. But there, there's not that many guys playing like that this year. So and, and Jimmy has shown poise. To kind of make some big plays at big moments, it's just, it, it, yeah. If he gets in a shootout, um, I don't know if that's going to happen in the NFC. I know you mentioned the Saints, but I still could see that game in the playoffs. Those things tend to, you know, they've already seen them, and 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 I, I do have a lot of faith in the Niners' mm-hmm. coaching staff to kind of come up with something better next time. Um, you know, I, I don't think that that game is going to get in the forties. Let's put no. it that way. So, um, and and it did, and and the Niners won. So. Kittle's you know, play was amazing. So no NFC East team. That's what. <laughs> no, uh, you know the the, the, the Cowboys could could ha- give somebody trouble if they get in. But no, I mean they, 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 again the the NFC is too thick this year. It, it's just yeah. it's too too dense. It, their teams are too good. It, honestly, a team that that I see as sneaky is is Minnesota. Yeah. Man, they they might be they, they might be the best team on paper in the NFL as far as talent on both sides of the ball. They're yeah. right up there. Got to get so, in though. That's gonna be the battle. Yeah, got to get in, and I I think they will. But but then you got the Rams, and and those two teams could be dangerous. Whoever that last seed is. So yeah. I, I I think Minnesota could sneak up on people. They've had kind of an underrated year. And, um, you know, I just think that, again, Kirk Cousins, yeah, he, you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of him. He just kind of became like a hip guy to criticize. And, yes, he's not the best quarterback in the league, but he's better than most. He's still he's still a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's played, He's had a pretty good year. He had two games earlier in the year that everyone freaked out when he played bad. It's like, I don't want to – who are these people that, like, the basis of this is comparing him to guys like Rodgers? Like, who's exactly. comparing him to Rodgers? So, Let's start right. there. No, it, it's, it's really just because he ended up getting – a big contract, and those are always the guy. And Dak, same way. He's kind of he's kind of negotiating. And that's big how it works. Is that but, there's always a bigger contract than the but last. But do you really and... think the Cowboys want to like Dak Prescott walk? No. I mean, you're not going back to Troy Aikman, you know? Quincy Carter. Yeah, you you want Quincy? <laughs> that, that's what people forget. Yeah. It's like when I talk to Lions fans, and they're like, "Well, Stafford's got to go. He's not good enough." I, you you know we're. We're not getting Aaron Rodgers. We're going to go back to Joey Harrington and Charlie Batch. John We're going to go Kitna. back to Scott Mitchell yeah. and John Kitna. So you oh, know, in, in 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 that hole, you know, and you're going to go back to the Browns jersey with sixty names yeah. on it. Yeah. So <laughs> I think Spurgeon wins out there. Yeah. So you know, I, I think people get the the way that we criticize quarterbacks in the NFL now is kind of ridiculous. Everybody's a chump if you're not one of the best three or four yeah. in the league. I mean, my most exciting player to watch this year outside of Lamar has been Jameis Winston. Well, yeah, because he throws picks and t- and touchdowns like. Better than everyone. Like he might lead the NFL in both categories this year. Yeah, which would be an incredible <laughs> accomplishment. I really hope that they, they that should be the goal for Bruce Arians and Tampa That's, for the rest of the year. 
that's we got to create a stat for that. Yeah, <laughs> just throw because Jameis has some of the best 30. throws and worst throws every week. It's yeah. consistently the same play. Like, I think he needs glasses. I really do. Yeah, I think he needs a lot of things. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Well, this was a blast. Before I let you go, Gunnar Ludwig here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, I didn't realize that recently you're a big UFC fan. We got a big pay per view coming up this week. We do. Last of the year. We do. And, you know, since the ESPN deal, a lot of these cards have kind of thinned out. They're spreading out the cards a lot. This one, you got three title fights. This one's actually worth your pay per view money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, so you don't necessarily have to bootleg it. Um, but <laughs> you can, but we're not. Recommending. Yeah, we're not recommending it. I'm not saying don't. I won't judge. But um, but this one's worth your money, and you're getting three title fights. Um, you're you're getting the the Kobe Covington Kamara Usman fight that that has both the hype in terms of. Of, of the press conferences and the characters involved, and it also has the hype as terms of if you're just a, a, a true fight fan, the two styles coming in here oh, and, yeah. and, and two really high-caliber fighters. I actually think the um, the Holloway-Volkanovsky fight is kind of underratedly exciting. That's, I mean, if you're talking the purest of the pure MMA fans, that's the fight you should be circling because Volkanovsky's been on a tear recently, and Holloway... Hasn't been tested that much within his own division. He went up, fought Poirier, and lost. But he's been—I mean, maybe probably—I mean, you could put him with Aldo as the greatest featherweight ever. So this is a huge test for him. Yeah, and he hasn't really fought a guy, um, you know, in his prime who was as dangerous of a wrestler and on as hot of a streak as Volkanovski, who's kind of that smaller college wrestler build who yeah. can, you know, I, I still see Holloway coming out with mm-hmm. the win. I think that it's too tough. we, we too might be a little jaded that he lost that Borier fight when he tried to move up. I still think in terms of pound for pound, I still think he's on a little bit of a higher tier than Poirier. I think yeah. if, even if he rematched, he might be able to win that fight. Size fight. I mean, you yeah. know, it's like boxing too. You go up, you can't take that for granted. And I think he could go back up and beat some guys. But, yeah. um, you know, but, but that's going to be a great fight. You've got Amanda Nunez. Uh, uh, fighting, uh, I forget yeah. how to pronounce her name. Germany, yeah. <laughs> no, she's a tough fighter though. Jermaine Durand, yeah, right? yeah. Um, she's not an easy fighter. No, like, that will be a, that will also be a sneaky tough fight. But Amanda Nunez is such a, a machine that who knows if that one will even get past the first two minutes. Fighting, defending her bantamweight belt. Yeah, you this know. is a, you know always, you always got to check with Nunez with the two belts, which one, which division she's in, yeah, which one she's fighting for. Um, no, that's a that's a good fight um, the, for sure. The the, the Marlon Morais and and Jose Aldo uh, moving down to fight Morais really dangerous fight for Aldo. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see because he's got always, Faber on there too. I know, and for <laughs> some reason Uriah Faber is fighting Peter Yan, who most people haven't heard of yet, but is really dangerous young fighter in his prime, and it's probably going to be a really ugly fight. He's I, a big underdog for uh, if you're betting and if you're a casual UFC fan. There's an obvious reason why. Does Uriah Faber need money? I feel like he does. Why is he doing this fight? Couldn't they find some other older washed up fighter to throw in there with him? It just seems this is going to be a sad fight to watch. It might be a quick sad fight, though. It might be a quick one, hopefully. Uh, That Um, Covington Usman fight, though, is fascinating. Obviously, there's some some genuine hate in there. But this division, the Walter division, is so stacked. Love, Love the depth at the top. And uh, I just I want to see what happens with this fight. If it's a close fight, or is it going to be a situation where they run it back? Who's next in line? I yeah. mean, this division needs to get sorted out. And finally, after all this time, we're going to start to see some sorting out at the top. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we're going to see a run back after this one in instantly um, because you got Jorge Masvidal waiting there. So unless they work out something with him and Conor McGregor or something like that, 
Yeah. Um, but I don't know why. I, I for me, Masvidal should be should be stepping into the next title fight. Yeah. And and he's, and, and he's then based. he can deal his with his business if he wants to go fight Conor McGregor. Well, and who knows if you're trying to fight Conor McGregor? Talk to me in four years. I mean, you know, who knows how long that's going to get dragged. So out. the last thing, very last thing, McGregor coming back fighting Cowboy, Cowboy Strong. Why is that fight at Walter White? Well, I, I don't think he wants any any smoke with Khabib anymore. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. So I get that. I and, get, and you I know, get that. when fighters get a little older and they're I he's just, a little more reserved from yeah. his prime, so, so he might not be into cutting weight anymore. So he's not into going for the. It's all going to be super. So this is a fight he, I get. He want, He needs a win. Like he needs a win. Yeah, he needs. So a this win. is a fight he can win. Cowboys fighting a lot better. It's not I think he wants easy. to set himself up. To fight Jorge Masvidal, I think that that mm. he, he wants he you know I don't know that that's going well, I, I don't understand I, I, it either I don't, see that I, don't going see, well I don't understand him. it either why it's why it's taking place there because the thing is is if he doesn't want to fight Khabib like does he really want to fight Kamara Usman like it's not you know we I mean, Woodley Woodley Con- would still a very good fighter and and I think if he's still plugged in he's a very good fighter but you know and 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 he definitely deserved a lot of the hype he got but there's a case that. That um, you know his fame obviously kind of preceded his accomplishments a little bit, anyways. And, and credit to him for that. He was a great showman, yeah. and he has you been. Get what you're, yeah, you, it's going to be really interesting can. to see if this Connor, um, because you know, fighting Khabib could make just about anybody look like they're past their prime. Oh, so so it's possible that that Connor maybe he's as good as he ever was, and that's just what happens when you fight Khabib. You know, <laughs> yeah, I would have taken the Gaethje fight personally. I thought that was on the table. Me too. This one here would have been great. And but. and for Conor McGregor, for a guy that's so much about clout and and his his rep and trash talk, why would you want to take the guy that Gaethje just beat? Yeah. You know, so you know, again, it mu- he must have a plan. He, I I, I, would, I think that I think it, to be honest though, I think it really comes down to the fact that he he's he he's not as devoted as he used to be, and he doesn't like cutting weight. And I, I think that probably has more to do with it, which suggests that. You know, I, I think we're done seeing the greatness of Conor McGregor. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to see... We might see another great knockout at some point. I don't know how many fights he's got left in him because he's only fought once every couple years at this point. So, you know, it, it, maybe if he has an incredible showing against Cowboy, um, man, even if it doesn't matter if it's a title fight, him and Jorge would, would sell. It would sell, but my worry is we how many fights do we have left to answer your question? We have this one, and then we have one just really bad loss. <laughs> one really bad loss. Yeah, and that's if Masvidal works him, which I kind of think he would. Yeah, if he tries to fight a guy like Usman or another welterweight like that, Woodley, I don't see it going well. I, don't I think either. he needs one. I think this is one last run to kind of put himself up against the best. Credit to Connor for wanting to fight the best and wanting to even after years out and being as rich as he is fighting, but. Welterweight division, man. He was a featherweight not too long ago, and I thought lightweight was the perfect division for him. But Khabib's got that on lockdown. It's so tough. before you go, before we go, who are you taking in the title fights this weekend? Who am I taking in the title fights? I'm going to take Amanda Holloway. Obviously, not a title fight. I'm going to take Holloway, Amanda. I'll go Covington. You're going Covington. I'm going Usman in that one. I think um, that's a coin flip fight. My least confident by far of the picks. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Covington. Let's just let's just put all the drama aside for a second. A pure as pure wrestler in that octagon and the cardio is out of control good. Yeah. Usman's a tough matchup for him though. I just, bigger, I'm, stronger, I'm and fasc- more smothering, I think. I'm, it's fascinating. Like I you know, this is the fight you want to see as a pure fan. Like you just want to see what the matchups look like. Both these guys haven't really been hit that hard. So how do they react when they get smoked in the face? I mean, I mean when Usman met Woodley, when Woodley was, you know, at the time 
one of the top three pound for pound fighters in the mm-hmm. world and, and looking, you know, like a very tough guy to beat and just destroyed him. So, Killed him. Uh, you know, and, and, and beat him kind of at his own game. So that, that was amazing to me. Um, I, 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 I think, I think he's got the kind of power and size to smother, uh, to smother Kobe a little bit, but who knows? It's like we haven't really seen anybody rock Usman. He's a good defensive fighter, and you know, so you know, Kobe's not going to let off. It's it's going to be like, you know, and and they're both wrestlers. So. I think we're going to scorecards. I'd be more confident with that prediction. I don't think we're going to see a finish. I, I think, think it's I, a five I, round I, fight, and I think we're going to see three two somewhere in there. Like it's going to be, it could be a split decision, and then though that's why I was thinking about a run back because. We could have some controversy. In there. Yeah, I, I just think it depends on what we have uh, there for 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 Masvidal. If he's pushing for a title, um, they're going to want to get him in there. Yeah, Masvidal so, against one of either of these guys is great. Yeah, Masvidal against well. anybody is great. So, um, yeah, I, I like I like I like decisions. I think in in both the the Holloway and the the Usman fight, and I'm going to take those two in decision. I'm going to take Nunez in an early KO. <laughs> First round, just doing what she First does. First round KO. Maybe it goes to the early second where it's one of those where, where she just, you know. God, um, no one can beat her. No. It, maybe. That, but maybe. that's the magic of the sport. It feels like nobody can beat you until somebody uh, She's does. already beaten her twice, although the one, I don't know how, how much I agree with it, but Valentina is the only one. Uh, yeah, that's I know. And she's, she's already beaten her twice, one. but they were both really close. So that's the yeah. only fight left, I guess. It's a tough situation for them, but. Um, but yeah, it, this is a great card this weekend, and I'm looking forward to it. Again, they don't stack cards like like they like they used to, and this is one like for the real fans that you know it's it, you got to watch. And every fight on this card is great, so I'm really looking forward to it. As am I, Gunner. This was fun. Best of luck with everything. Why we'll be back on soon? And one last apology. Sorry for the Red Wings just tanking. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean that's been the last few years. I've kind of turned my head on hockey, and I'll look back. In another few years. But we got Stevie Eiserman back. He's so back. maybe he'll turn this thing around. Now get your 19 jerseys out. He's yep. back. We'll is, see. Yeah, I'm just hoping for a firing of Matt Patricia. <laughs> and for that's your sake, Freddie Kitchens. That's all we want for Christmas. That's all we want for Christmas. Fire our coaches. Please. <laughs> thanks, please. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, Mitch. Our big thanks again to Gunnar Ludwig. Always a pleasure talking with him. That was good. We always leave a little meat on the bone, end up riffing for a while, and uh, still a lot more to talk about. But always, always fun talking football and more with Gunnar Ludwig. Now we're going to switch it up, go to the tennis world. Nina Pantic, Tennis.com podcast host, along with Marina Falcone. You should definitely check that one out and check out her stuff at Tennis.com. We're breaking down 2019, all the major winners and all the top storylines. What's next? What do we have to look forward to in 2020? Me and Nina get into that. It's Nina Pantic now on The Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on The Money Mitch Effect, 2019 Tennessee's in the books. Running an expert to recap a a dramatic ending to the decade. The tens are are done. It's Nina Pantic from the Tennis.com podcast. And Tennis.com as managing editor, Nina, thank you for joining the show. Great to be back on the show, Mitch. Well, I was very, very happy with another tennis season uh, for a lot of different reasons, not just on the court, but to watch your career blossom. So I'm able to uh, talk to a fellow podcast host now. How was that year for you, just hosting your own show and uh, really diving into the technical side of uh, tennis media? It's been a learning curve for sure. I'm really happy with how the podcast uh, has progressed 
getting involved in editing and producing and uh, even trying to promote it and everything has been a learning curve, but really fun. And it's grown so much. So it's, it's exciting and it's also challenging and it's different and it's kind of an unknown. As you know, the podcast world is a little bit unknown, which makes it, I don't know, both both a pain, but also also really fun and different and inspiring, one could say, motivating. Yeah, for sure. And your, and your show, along with Arena Falcone, your co-host, you've been able to get access to a lot of great players, personalities, journalists, people in the tennis world. But, but what fascinates me as more of a tennis nerd, I think much like yourself in that regard, is the behind-the-scenes stuff with coaches and people that are really important to the game but also you know, aren't well-known. I think that, that's been my favorite listen for what you've been able to do. Oh, I appreciate that. Irina and I work together pretty much every day figuring out which guests to try and target. And a lot of times people just want to hear from players, but hearing from people that work in the industry and work in tennis, maybe a coach or an agent or someone who's doing a, you know, foundation in tennis is also really interesting. So I'm actually glad you said that because we try and balance it, not just not just the famous people, but everyone that's been, that's made tennis their life, I think is important. So I'm glad you said that. Plus, like, Honestly, a lot of athletes, not just tennis players, can be kind of boring. <laughs> so it's like it's good to have some personality in there too. They uh, do kind of say the same thing sometimes. You're right. Well, I want to I want to talk about the tennis season that we had 2019 for the all the ups and downs for the new faces we saw. It was still rained by a familiar side, especially on the men's game. And for this show, we're just going to go through a, a lot of the uh, top seasons, the ups and downs we saw on the court and I want to start with none other than Rafa Nadal Nina two majors again now one off Federer for the all-time title another French another U.S. Open and it's just remarkable how this man to me keeps reinventing himself on the tennis court we thought that his greatness while all-time one of the if not the best ever at this point was amazing we didn't know if it was sustainable into his mid to now pushing mid-30s but here he is again two players two majors number one player in the world there's just nothing at this point that I believe he can't do Rafa's almost uh, invincible I have to agree there's something remarkable about him being able to continue to win despite all these injuries you know a lot of players mm-hmm. a lot of players you know I feel like Novak and Federer are never as injured as Rafa is so for him to get to 19 despite all of his setbacks is is pretty impressive I also find him I mean as, as hard as it is for me to say this I'm not really like a Roger or a Rafa fan, but I do think that Rafa is a little bit harder to like. And part of that is because he's so private. Like he got married this year and we didn't really get anything. Yeah. And it, it was the top, it was the the biggest hit in terms of um, page views on baseline this year, but we didn't really have anything, right? He was so private and there's something sort of mysterious about him. And, and to have him maybe pass Roger for Grand Slams and for greatest of all time is... It's a little scary. Right. It's great, it obviously. Obviously great for him. He's so dedicated and he works so hard and he, he puts in the, the hours upon hours upon hours. But I don't know, man. I'm a little torn about it. Well, I would agree. In full disclosure, I was more of a, I'm, I'm a Roger fan. That was my guy growing up, uh, which is crazy to think that all these still guys are all these three guys are still at the top a decade later. I mean we do it's been a decade and it's the same three guys at the top. But I think Nadal isn't as likable as Roger, but that's more of Roger being the most likable tennis player of all time by far. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, you know, you put, you touched on the head all the injuries. No one gets injured as much as Rough at the top, not even close. We did this last year, and we talked about all the tournaments that Nadal pulled out of, especially on hard court, for him to win the U.S. Open. 
that is as amazing as as any one of those French Opens to me. Is that on the hard court still at this age with all the wear and tear in his body, he's still the toughest out in a best of five match that I've ever seen. He does seem to time those injuries really well as well. He gets injured kind of towards the uh, the end of the season, right after the U.S. Open is when things pop up. You know, he pulled out of Labor Cup, and I know it's not as big as a deal, but he kind of struggled towards the end of the season. But that doesn't really matter. You know, he comes back in just in time to get the year in number one. So it's like, as he's gotten older, he's learned to schedule himself a lot better. And I think he's really targeting the tournaments he needs to target and leaving the rest of the season as it is. It is what it is. You know, I don't know that he'll ever, looking forward, be number one year end again. It's hard to bet against him, but it is tough to put together a, a full calendar of weeks and stay healthy. But I'm just saying, the format it is, best of five, he is the one person you do not want to bet against because he will not quit on any single game, on any single point. And I think he's the one player, even more so than Djokovic, Federer, some of the young guys coming up, that in a major, he's the one guy that I still think at his age you don't want to see. It's a safe bet. I, I would agree with you on that. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to see Novak either, but I, I think I agree with you on that. Rafa is never going to give up, and it's gotten him this far. Pretty far. I, I, yeah, I do want to switch to Novak because yeah. he had another year where he won the other two majors. Uh, he's up to 16 on the major total list, only four off the all-time pace. As these guys just keep collecting grand slams, he wins Australia by destroying Nadal. He wins the most epic possibly ever Wimbledon final against Roger Federer, the first 12-all tiebreaker in the fifth set. The end of the year ends a little funky with Novak, and he's had great years. This is another one. It's not his best year. I'll just say that I think, you know, and you can disagree with me, but I think Novak's at a point where he's chasing Grand Slams. So I think we're going to start looking at the end of his year-end ranking and, and not take into account as much how serious he, he takes winning other tournaments. I think he is at the point in his career where all he wants to do is win Grand Slams, peak there, and catch Federer Nadal as that greatest player ever. I also think he will catch them. I mean, as as much as it doesn't look as promising because he's 16 and, and Rafa's at 19, but something about Novak, it looks like he's not going to go away. I think he cares about year number one in a sense, but only because he's on the verge of, of getting another record there. I think he cares about records, but the number one record he's chasing is going to be Grand Slams. And I, I think he's going to get there because he at least has another I don't know, I want to say like three or four years, good years left in him. Nothing about him looks like he's slowing down. He's had a family growing and growing. That's not really stopping him. So, I mean, I'd, I'd put him as, as the, the biggest threat to break that record, to catch, well, catch Roger. It's probably that gluten-free lifestyle that makes you, you know, think it he's going to play until he's be. in his mid-40s. Uh, he's a, looking very trim. <laughs> being a health nut, maybe a, maybe a little too skinny. I don't know. I mean, it definitely helps with uh, with how he's been able to play. I honestly think my my, uh, my hot take of the last decade would be if it wasn't for whatever happened in 2017, 20, or 2016, he'd probably already have 20. It's possible. Like it's po- he also has a lot of injuries here and there. I mean, he had that weird left elbow injury at the U.S. Yeah. Open. I didn't quite understand that. But he also has some bizarre – his injuries kind of seem more bizarre than they are actually big ones. So I guess he has that going for him as well. Do you think that – and this is the last thing I'll say on Djokovic. Do you think he's at a point now – where he is, I don't want to say accepted, but he's come to terms with the fact that he just won't be as liked or loved as Nadal and Federer. I find that whole thing about him fascinating because I'm also a Serbian, and I think part of it might be because he's Serbian and he's not from a country like Spain that has this massive tennis and sports following, or maybe because he's not, no one could be like Roger Federer. But I find the the fact that he's not well-liked, honestly, one of the most mesmerizing things about men's tennis of, of this modern decade. Honestly, it's so... 
it's hard to really figure out, but I don't think he cares. I think he's realized he's trying. The whole like hugging the crowd thing was a good effort. I think he's changed his attitude and his personality and his public persona since he was younger so much. Like he's like the perfect Novak. Well, when he, he used to be kind of more like Nick Kyrgios. Uh-huh. So I mean, I think he's done done his part. I think he's he's what thirty two, thirty three. I mean, he's thirty one. He's done. I think he's accepted that this is who he is. Like, why even bother? Yeah, he's in an era where it's just impossible to be the guy or, or the top guy. I do agree with you. I think he pushed back a little early in his career. Now he's now he's accepted it. He probably doesn't win that Wimbledon match if he if he lets the crowd get to him. Which, by the way, I've never seen a more partisan crowd than the Wimbledon final. That 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 takes the cake for me. Like that was yeah. The All England Club, and they were standing, cheering, and hollering for everything Federer did. But Djokovic wins, and uh, yeah, I think the smart money, if I had to bet going forward, would be he's going to be the one with the most grand slams. Uh, the guy that currently holds that list, Nina Roger Federer, did not win a major this year. Still finished number three in the world, ending his 38th year in the top three. 102 career titles as he continues to push on and maybe catch Jimmy Connors for the most titles, but it's hard to say. How much longer Federer is going to play? He's committed to playing into the Olympics in 2020. And I think we're at a point now, we talked about this a little last year, Nina, where we just got to appreciate whatever Roger brings us on the tennis court because all good things don't last forever. I don't know if it win another major. I'd probably say it's more likely than not. But Federer's still playing high-level tennis, pushing on 40 years of age. I do remember last year thinking, wow, he's going to play Labor Cup at home in Switzerland that might be where he calls it. That might be his his last hurrah. And I honestly, for a minute, I, I believe that. And now I'm thinking, well, Tokyo, he hasn't won a singles medal, right? A gold medal. Yeah. Maybe maybe that'll be his perfect hurrah. But honestly, it's impossible to know. It's, it's awkward to ask, that's for sure. Not going to do that. But, you know, you just, you have to be grateful for what you've seen. And it, even if he has a really bad year, I think it doesn't matter because you've managed to, to get him until he's almost 40. So it, it is what it is, but I can't, I don't see him winning another Grand Slam, but I've said that before and I was so wrong, so I don't really want to say that publicly, but I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I think a bad year for him is three, apparently. <laughs> yeah, this was, yeah, this is a that. bad year. He finished number three, like poor guy. No, I think, I think Federer's doing just fine. I do think that he's taking measures to uh, play as long as he can by not playing the full schedule anymore and uh the one thing you didn't bring up about the tokyo olympics is uh you know he's uniqlo now so this is going to be his olympic time to shine and be the focal point of it i think going forward though he's always going to look back at that wimbledon final that was one that got away and whether or not he wins another major beating his rival keeping Djokovic one down that's a two slam swing in the race I look at 2019, and, and it's a great Roger Federer year. It was, uh, I mean, for his age, I should say. Played well, won tournaments, won another Masters title in Miami. But that Wimbledon final, that that's probably the most heartbreaking loss he's ever had. It's got to be up there. That's an unbelievable effort by Novak to pull that one out. And for Federer to be on the losing end at this point in his career, it's going to stick with him, I want to say, forever. But... I get, the, the best part is that he has this coming year, right? If he retired last year, that would be his his lasting memory of Wimbledon. Like, that's not good. So at least he gets another chance at it. And Federer is still a guy with his smarts, with his ability. I do think he's going to need some draw help. He, it would be, you know, possible for him to win another Grand Slam, but I think some breaks are going to have to go his way with some upsets and people getting knocked out. But 
We'll see what happens. Nina Pantic here on the Money Mitch Effect, uh, switching to some of the other guys. And we always talk about who's going to be the next up, who after the big three, big four with Murray when he was in there is going to break through. We had a generation of players, uh, kind of a half generation of players that didn't really get the job done. But this is the first time we're starting to see some real rumblings of the next generation. And uh, first on that list for me is uh, Daniil Medvedev. The year he had ending it, going to the U.S. Open final and giving Nadal all he can handle in a five-set loss. Thoughts on Medvedev's year, Nina, and whether it's him or Tsitsipas or somebody else. Is there a guy at this in this generation that you feel most comfortable breaking through first? God, if I have to hear ATP next gen one more time, though, I'm going to jump off a bridge. <laughs> uh, luckily, they're both, at least Medvedev is past that, that branding, so we're safe. You know, I think uh, I think Daniel has, has done mighty well for himself. I think something about him is so... You love to hate him. I don't know how I don't know how that came together. At the, at the US Open, I was there. And was I don't know incredible. how I don't know how that happened because he just seemed when I've met him and like we've worked with him very I've worked with him very minimally, but he seems like a very nice guy. I, I'm nice. He's married. I mean, he, he has his his life together. There's no reason for him to be trying to be like some kind of crazy villain. I don't know what happened there, but maybe it's just the Russian in him that came out. And having the crowd against him when he was trying, you know, when he's got a chance here finally to be in a semifinal of a Grand Slam. I think maybe the pressure got to him. I'm not sure what happened. But I'm excited to find out more about him because I wasn't that interested in him at all until he became that villain. That made me want to see more of him. That made me want to learn more about him and work with him more because until then I was like, oh, yeah, like another tall Russian. But he is for sure a Grand Slam contender. I want to say... More so than Tsitsipas because he's a little older. He seems a little bit more put together. But Tsitsipas won the ATP Finals, yeah. so really, it's it's anyone's. It's, both of them are are strong contenders. A lot more than Zverev would be. Yeah, I I would just add to that that Medvedev's run wasn't just the U.S. Open. That whole summer hardcourt season was incredible. I mean, what he was able to do: winning Cincinnati, finals in Toronto, finals in D.C and then the U.S. Open final. I agree with you. It seems like he's a nice guy. I haven't gotten to know him like, like you have a little bit. But there's two types of athletes out there, and there's the ones that when the crowd kind of boos them or turns on them for a little bit that are just going to you know put their head down and get back to work. Medvedev pushed back. So I don't necessarily think he's a villain, but in that moment, he just took that as, as personal, which a lot of athletes do. He pushed back, but also he didn't really let that get to him. He used that to get to the final. So... Uh, exactly. I, you know, exactly. I think some people, you know, thrive better in the hate. Some people unravel. Some people just just play better when that situation arises. I think Medvedev's got uh, the most consistent game. He's his his floor is I would say the highest of all these young guys, and uh, he is uh, incredible shape. Played so much tennis. I think had the most match wins this year of any ATP player. So consistently, consistently wise, I'd say maybe his his game isn't as great as Sitsipas or Zverev when they're on. But in a best of five, having to win all those matches uh, every other day, just about, I would trust Medvedev the most, if that makes sense. It does. It's certainly not a flashy game style, as his uh, his young friends have pointed out, saying, you know, not friend might be the, might be the wrong word, but people have called this game boring. Mm. You know, they say just hits the ball back in the court, but like, who cares? It seems to be working, and. Yeah, he may, he, okay, I wouldn't say he was technically the villain, but, the, you know, that was his, the headlines and the, the hoopla around him was that he was the new villain, and I honestly, I loved it. I was living for it. 
Well, yeah, and anytime you play a reigning member of the Big Three or Nadal or Federer, you're going to be branded as the villain in that matchup. Uh, yeah, at least they yeah. supported him, though, in the end. That was good. In that he, final. You know, he won, he won the crowd over. He, it was a happy ending. He did. It was, all's well that ends well, just about. <laughs> uh, Tsitsipas had a year that probably was better overall, except if you look at it, the middle was a little bleak. But he starts starts on fire, You know, beats Federer in that Australian Open, makes the semifinals. Summer, you know, in some of the major results, he has that epic match against Stan in the French Open. Wimbledon loses in the first round. We're kind of wondering what we're going to see about him. Then that tear at the end of the year where he wins the ATP Tour Finals and uh, really emerges again as the player that we all think has maybe the flashiest game on the opposite side of Medvedev. Do you think Tsitsipas is going to be more consistent in 2020 based on how he finished this year? I think yes, just because he's a year older. So he's going to have those experiences, the good and the bad, under his belt. Having a few tough losses here and there, you know, in the long run, I think that's good for him because he has to he has to stay hungry and stay humble and keep getting better. And the losses teach you more than the wins, right? So I think that's what happened to him at the end of the year. He really, he really learned quickly, and it worked out for him because his talent, his game style – his, everything about him is just so poised to be a number one. So I think it'll be a big year for him. And I also love him as a character on the tour. I think there's no one that's more weird and quirky and fun and open than he is right now. I mean, the YouTube channel is just okay. is just insane. <laughs> that that That's the one part where, and look, I'm, you know, with some Greek blood, I really was was thrilled that we had a Greek tennis player coming up. Love his game, love his fight, love that you know he's he's not backing down. He's a little crazy out there, and love his personality off the court. But the YouTube stuff is just bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so good. The editing is so well done. Okay, yeah, it's it's he's covering some weird stuff, and when he talks the camera straight on, it's all it's all very awkward, very cringe. But you know, people are digging, people are eating it up, and there's something. Yeah about his obsession with cameras and videos and now he's traveling to like Iceland and the Middle East and doing all this crazy stuff. I mean, I want to see it. I think I think his young fans love YouTube and people want to be YouTube famous and he's actually targeting that crowd. Maybe us, we're a little bit older. It's a little bit weird to put yourself out there and spend who knows how many hours he spends editing and like carrying that equipment around cannot be easy. But, you know, who's to say like carrying a guitar on tour is any crazier? It's, it's all kind of a little bit weird, but... Whatever hobby gets you through the tour, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the video of him running on the beach with the chariots of fire in the background, and I'm like, how, how old are you? How do you even know what this movie is? Uh, but no, I, I think he's he's exciting and, and fun to watch. Probably thinks that he's as good of a, uh, a YouTube vlogger as a tennis player, though. I, I think in his mind, he probably thinks he's top five in the world. You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta keep some variety in your life. I think just focusing on tennis is not healthy. So for him to have something else is, even though it's a little weird, it's good. It's a, it's a balance. Well, he's, be, cer- yeah. he's certainly on the rise. Uh, and, and just quickly on these other guys, I mean, Zverev, we've been waiting on team had another year where, you know, he makes the ATP final, the, the final losing the Sitsipas. There's some other guys emerging too. Uh, Berrettini comes to mind as a young, the young Italian that, that's played pretty well. Is this going to be the year going forward where we finally do have a breakthrough? I mean, I know we're all sick of hearing the next generation, but it at least to me seems like there's more options at this point where if only a few pan out, it still could be a breakthrough. It, I mean, for Berrettini, for sure, that would have been a breakthrough to crack top 10, to make a Grand Slam semifinal. All of that was a little bit out of nowhere. So, yeah, I think I think there's a lot more room near the top 10 to 5, 4 numbers 
for sure. But that's kind of always been the case. I don't think uh, I don't think Rafa and Djokovic are going to go anywhere. Roger maybe, but Berrettini it was hopeful until he got his absolutely absolutely got destroyed by Nadal in that semifinal. So I mean, it just depends on perspective. It's like yeah, he's he's done so much, but he's not quite at that level. I think. Uh, team will eventually win a French Open. Uh, I think he's been the second best clay court player pretty consistently the last couple of years, and I think he's going to eventually break through there. I'm not sure on the other surfaces. Verev is just the one where it sounded like that Labor Cup speech with Federer and Nadal got his head on straight. He finished the year somewhat strong. I want to see if he can consistently play in Grand Slams. It's the same thing we've been saying. He's got all that game, but the headspace between the ears has been letting him down recently maybe it's the best of five thing that gets him all messed up i'm not i mean it, that might be it because the labor cup at least was best of three but it, there's something clearly mentally and physically blocking him from the slams but yeah team for a french open seems safe but i'd give him like you know maybe like four years four years four years okay that's fair but all right now on the money image effect i want to talk about the women's game so many good women's storylines this year nina but there's one we got to start with ash barty the Aussie wins the French Open, wins the WTA Finals in in, in uh, Singapore, and she keeps it going. She keeps it going every year. It seems like she's gotten better. This was the big breakthrough for the former cricket player. I thought she had a chance to really make a make a move, make a mark, win a Grand Slam. I was a little bullish, but I didn't even see this coming. I mean, this was just an incredible year for Ash, and uh, the most consistent year to date that we've seen. Hands down, this has been an. In- unbelievable year for Ash Barty and there's no one better for it to happen to I mean she is such a nice person and sometimes people will say oh nice is boring or fake but no I mean she's a genuine great person who has put in the work and has gone through as you said former cricket player I mean that's just a ridiculous part of her story but she's put all that aside and works every day to be the best she can be and her game is so complete and the WTA just needed somebody to step up, and I think she was the perfect person. Not to mention what I love about her is that she says we a lot. She refers to herself, her successes, her titles, her work as, you know, we did this, and we are really happy with this. And that's something really unique about her, that she has a team mentality, which I think takes some pressure off of her because it's like my team and I are in this together. It's not just about what I'm doing, and it's not all on me. I'm not alone. I think that's helped her a lot. I think that's a big X factor for the Ash Barty 2019 unbelievable campaign it was a great year i think her movement on the court is as good as anyone in women's tennis i think her mentality you mentioned her saying we she never got down on herself a lot of these matches that she won these big matches went three sets she's got that aussie fighting spirit in her age you got to think more success is on the horizon but the bigger picture for the women's tour this year you know, with, with Serena aging, with uh, we were seeing retirements. Now, Wozniacki just retired. We've we've lost a few of the the driving forces in the last couple of years. I think it, I think it's at a good place right now, where the women's game has, you know, probably eight to ten women going into uh, every year, every tournament that you think can legitimately win it. We keep seeing these threats emerge with Barty, with the next woman I want to talk about, Bianca Andreescu, uh, Noemi Osaka comes to mind as well. There's a very deep talent pool. of of players that can not only can contend but can win majors and it's going to be kind of fun to see who emerges as the top player it was Barty's year in 2019 but she knows she has to play well again to keep it in 2020 there is something to be said about Bianca Andreescu maybe being the uh, the driving force next year though because there's something I mean her year was just 45 remarkable and like four 45 right? and four 
came out of nowhere and it's going to be so hard for her to back it up because this, you know they always call the sophomore slump right because she has to go and defend all these points but you kind of I, I definitely thought after Indian Wells and then going into the summer I thought you know what she's going to correct she's going to start having bad losses she's going to lose first round and she didn't she just kept going even in the fall swing there was some good wins there you know it was kind of a relentless change in her it wasn't a flash in the pan so I think if anyone can handle a sophomore year well, it's going to be Bianca because great team around her, head on straight, has a great perspective. The game is just so all around well, well, I guess well made. You know, she has yeah. she can do everything she needs to do to change things up, and that's that's something that's hard for women to play against. Someone who's not just pounding the ball back at you. I mean, she basically didn't play clay or grass court season and still finished top yeah. five in the world, which is insane. I mean, I can't think of a better rookie year in tennis ever uh possibly we'd have to start comparing it to other sports to see what she's done in just her first year on the tour but what, what what strikes me you mentioned the completeness of her game i was more impressed than that one loss she had to osaka where it went three sets in three hours where she just kept battling i mean this is somebody that clearly is like like we said with nadal a tough out in any of these tournaments she's on the rise and, and is probably the safe bet to be the driving force next year in women's tennis then you talk about someone else who, who started out strong and is kind of fizzled trying to find herself still finishing a solid year as Naomi Osaka. We talked last year. She won the U.S. Open. She goes into Aussie. She wins there. She wins two straight majors. And then the wheels start to come off a little bit. The coaching change. The game starts to go down. She, she has that slump after having success. That's probably the most fascinating player for me, Nina, is how she plays in 2020 given all that's happened in the last 12 months. She reminds me a little bit of Tsitsipas in the sense that she's so young and she's so open about things that maybe you shouldn't be that open about. A little bit quirky, a little bit weird, unique, maybe that's a safer word. And I mean, having those struggles, same as Tsitsipas, having those struggles is so good for them, I think, at this age because they have something to learn from. And I think she really made some changes towards the back end of the year. She changed her team, we know that, in January, but she made mental changes and she made changes that would make herself happier. She focused on being happy. And for someone at that age to realize, hey, you know what? Like winning is great, but you being happy and confident is more important. And at, as such a young woman, she had to figure that out for herself. And you can see on like, even like things like her Instagram page have changed. She's putting up photos that are showing herself off more versus just being like the quirky little weird, you know, awkward person. She's being a bit more strong and, and open in a in an expressive way than a shy way. And I think there's been a very monumental shift. Maybe it's because she's got a boyfriend now as well. That's That always helps a little bit, I think, when you're young and you're trying to figure out your life to have another person on your support system team more than, you know, obviously like getting married or anything like that. But, you know, it, it, I think I think growing up is a big part of this. So I think she's, I think she's poised for a big year. I, I do too. Uh, I think her top end game is still my favorite in women's tennis, especially with that serve. But yeah, it, it's I mean, it just shows you we, we see a lot of tennis. It's eleven month season for for these top players, and uh, the grind is tough, and it's hard to stay mentally engaged. I think it is fascinating when you have a player like Osaka that's just wearing her emotions on her sleeve, literally telling you how she's feeling and, and what's going on. So she's another one to watch. I do want to mention quickly one of the one of the bright spots of the year was seeing Simona Halep get that Wimbledon title in that second major. Another player that we were wondering if she was going to ever win a major, she wins one, and then it's, will she ever get a second one, really cement that Hall of Fame career. 
and she did it over Serena in uh, emphatic fashion. So I was really happy for Simona to kind of set herself up as that all-time great player with multiple majors now. There's something so unusual about Simona Halep. I, I think I got the sense after she won the French Open, she reached number one. She was like, you know what? I'm pretty happy with how things right, are. exactly. I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish. It was very Caroline Wozniacki of her. <laughs> I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish. Like, I'm, everything I do now is just icing on the cake. And she seemed really focused on Fed Cup. That didn't quite go her way. And I didn't expect I, – I think she's obviously capable of winning Grand Slams, but I didn't think she would – have the, I guess the interest, not the interest level, but the stamina and the commitment and the mental toughness to do it again. So to do it again so profoundly in that final, especially, and then to have that celebration for her in her home country in Romania, I mean, I think it's all worth it. Maybe she learned that, hey, you know what, maybe a few more slams are worth the effort. Yeah, and that's another another one that's reunited with her coach, Darren Cahill, and, and maybe is starting to find that you know, there isn't there isn't a age limit. As we get to Serena here, there isn't like a, you have to win your slams in your in your mid twenties, or it's never going to happen. There's a chance to have a great second half of the career, and uh, Simona seems primed to do just that. But it was Serena again in two major finals, the same two as last year, and the same two results, straight set losses. She's not getting any younger. She's still getting to these finals and doing impressive feats and just running through top players, but. It's just getting bizarre now, Nina, to me that this is four straight major finals where she's thrived more than anyone and isn't getting the job done. I think she's in a bit of a catch-22 because she wants to handpick her schedule to suit her, playing under 10 events a year so she's not getting injured or burnt out. But then she's not getting in the match play she needs, nor is she as familiar with her opponents who are either new or getting better and changing. And that's why she gets into these high-pressure final showdowns and isn't as comfortable as maybe she was when she was younger and playing these players over and over again and playing all these matches. You know, that's that's the, the challenge for her, and she's not getting any younger. So why would she change that? It's not going to change. She's just going to kind of try to target the Grand Slams even harder and put even more pressure on herself. And I think she's realizing that because when you look at her, you know, when you look at her, what she's doing off the court right now is going to be about fashion and jewelry and and her family. And that's totally okay because she's almost 40 and these are the things that matter to her. Yeah, I agree completely. I think not having the match experience and not knowing your opponent has, has been huge for her. Uh, not to have success in the final match, and also the grind of of a two week run, as you mentioned, putting putting at her age into perspective, that stuff gets harder when you when you get older. It's the same thing with Federer, who's tried to figure out a way to, you know, elongate his career, but at the same time, isn't the threat that he once was in majors. So, uh, in terms of Serena winning a major again, it's definitely possible because you can never count her out. We know that, but. It's not like it's going to get easier, this rolling out. And, and the other elephant in the room is, when is she going to call it quits? That one, I have absolutely no idea. I've been going back and forth. I honestly think that if she wins one, I think she just retires immediately. I think that's what my prediction would be. What, pull off Flavia Panetta and do it during the speech? Yeah. I, I, I think it's going to be, part of me thinks her and Venus might retire together and just, mm. like, finish maybe. I don't think it's going to be this year, but it could be. And then just be like, you know what? We came in together. We're out together. Right. I don't think she does a retirement tour. That, that's what I think. No, I don't no think chance. She wants that. Yeah. No, no, Mike. No, Mike and Bob Bryan farewell tour for <laughs> no. her. No chance. No. Well, I mean, there's faces that are coming. There's faces that are going. We're going to wrap up this podcast here. Nina Pantic on the Money Mitch Effect, talking about some of the storylines we want for next year and the players. And I mean, if we're talking about incoming faces, I think now's a good time to talk about Coco Golf. Always a good time to talk about Coco Golf. 
It's 15 years old going on 16, and there hasn't been – I'll just put it this way. I've never seen more stock being bought in a player's future success than Coco Golf. You'd have to really go back. You'd have to go back. That's the thing. This hasn't been around in our generation because we haven't – I wasn't really paying attention when I was you know, younger than them. Serena and Venus coming up, right? So, but even that, they weren't – I mean, and, and yeah, Serena's the all-time great, but – I don't. She didn't have the buzz, and maybe that's the product of the social media and, and the era yeah. we're in. But 15 years old, doing what she did last year, this hype train, we'd have to really go back. Maybe Jennifer Capriati. That's what I'm thinking. It is. It, yeah, mentioning the fact that the internet has changed so much and social media is a big factor here because, the, and also what I find so incredible about her is how she speaks. At 15 years old, I mean, I don't can't think of a single teenager that could speak so well. Doesn't even say like very much. I mean, she speaks better than we do. And there's something to be said about how mature she is. But she's still having a little bit of fun, which is good. Because, you know, you still want her to be a 15-year-old and not hate the sport by the time she's 20, a la Capriati. There is – it's it's and it's also really scary to be putting expectations on her and, and pitting her as the next it girl and next Grand Slam champion. I mean, it's kind of on the media a little bit to, to not, be, not be too intense. When she gave that interview at Wimbledon and said, any match I'm in, I expect to win, that's when I was like, okay, this is a this is a professional now. I mean, every time she speaks, it's just so it's just so well done. I don't know that next year is the year. I actually don't. I mean, it could be two, three years. That's why I was cautioning you know, the media. Like, okay, if she doesn't win a major this year or next year, it's not the end of the world. She, oh, still, no, yeah. The, you know, no, yeah. So let's just taper expectations here. Uh, but, I mean, the, star, the sky is the limit for her. I think she's going to have a great year. Uh, the other year that I'm looking forward to see is Annie Samova, her bounce back with the tragedy that happened. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that you know she was the next it girl in tennis. She's still super young, just turned 18. So she's another face in the women's game, Nina, as well as some others that are on the rise and could be a threat in the near future. Definitely. Um, Amanda, yeah, that that was, I mean, it's, that's, it's impossible to even relate to what happened with her and her family around the U.S. Open. And then she came back in the fall went one and two on the Asia swing kind of disappeared from the, from the spotlight, which it probably is what needs to happen what happens in those kind of situations. And now she can start clean, right? Start fresh, go for the big year with, I mean, a new, a new mindset probably. And it's, it's tough, but another person that you see posting on Instagram a lot, I mean, she seems like a, still a very happy focused driven kid. So all the best to her in the new year for sure. Well, lastly, Nina Pantic, uh, I'm going to ask you for what do you think is going to happen in 2020? Some breakthroughs, maybe a major winner that we're not seeing coming or just some storylines you're looking forward to. Hard to, hard to believe we're saying 2020 already, but what do you think is going to happen in the upcoming tennis season? I am really hoping to see someone like Medvedev win a Grand Slam. I think that would – it would be – mind-boggling but it just it just has to happen at some point so why not now that's that's my 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 hope my prediction a Medvedev Grand Slam 2020 I'm not sure which one maybe the U.S. Open that'd be very fitting um, but other than that I mean I, I think Coco Goff winning a Grand Slam is outrageous that's not going to happen in 2020 <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't think so. Um, Svitolina is one we didn't really mention. Alina Svitolina, that's someone who I think should win a, ma- a major, and she should have reached number one. Uh, will she in 2020? 
if everything else kind of falls her way, maybe. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any other people that you're looking out for? Yeah, on the women's side, if I had to pick my long long ish shot, it's not a long shot because she's still a top ten player. But I think Benchich will get one next year. Really like what she's done with her game, kind of rebuilding it. I think she can, can definitely contend. Someone we didn't talk about. Uh, I mean, I was bullish on Sabalenka last year, but her inconsistency is all over the place. Ooh, so yeah, it'll be a yeah, lot that's of first a tough round one. exits and maybe a final of a major, probably in there. I'm a I'm a big fan of Diana Yastremska, who's now teamed yeah. up with Sasha Bayan. So I've got big hopes for her. She is she is got a lot of personality to give to the WTA tour. So I'm hoping she's number 22 right now. So mm-hmm. there's a good chance of that. Maybe top 15, and then Sophia Kennan. Yeah, big fan of her. She is so focused. Uh, Grand Slam for both of them and Sabalenka. It seems a bit much of a stretch, but I mean, at least maybe a quarterfinal. And what about Sloan? I mean, we didn't even talk about her. She had just a dreadful year out of the top 20 now, but still has the game where if she's hot, you're like, okay, she can. Yeah, I mean, at least at least with Sloan, you know that she's gonna always have a good attitude about you know putting things in perspective and and being staying calm. I mean, tennis for her is obviously the most important thing, but. I, I don't feel like it's so much like live and die as it is for some other players. Like they're not trying to p- prove a point and make themselves m- make a point, I guess, make a leave their mark. And she's kind of already done that. I think Medvedev to win a Grand Slam is a, is a solid pick as well. Uh, I also think 2020, my bolder pick is I think that's going to be the year Murray retires. Oh, Murray. Did you watch his? Uh, no, I need to. The resurfacing thing. Is it good? My God. I'm assuming it's oh. good. You need to watch it because it is so intense. I have never, I mean, I know he's emotional and he has a bit of humor. You see his humor, his reactions and or his relationship with his team is so interesting because he's absolutely in love with one of the guys on his team. It's really cute. But the emotions, it's just so dramatic. And it's like, Andy, you know what? I know tennis is your life, but you're not going to die. You know, like, it's going to be, there's like so much like touching and hugging and like tears. And like, I get it. It's, it's hard. It's, it's a horrible thing that's happened to him. You know, he, there's a, there's a why me moment, but like, dude, you need yeah. to see it because. Imagine if he, he was ranked. In, yeah. If he like, wasn't no, in the top 100, it's like, oh, but like he's, 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 he's healthy. He's made a lot of money. He's had a lot of success. Yeah. I have to watch it. You need I, to see it. I'm glad he can tie his shoes now. I'm, I'm happy he can tie his shoes. I'm really, I really am. But like the movie is so dramatic. You have to see it. It's wow. good. It's really wow. good. It's worth watching. And it gives you a little bit more insight into what he's like. And I'm, 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 I mean, blown away, but also like chill. I'm prepared for like Apollo 13 now. This is great. It's like a drama surgery. Um, no, but I think I think it'll probably be the end of Murray's career. Nothing wrong with that. I just think he got back to playing, and I think that's what he. I mean, I obviously don't know him, but I think proving that you can come back and play consistent tennis, not top five anymore. But I think that's what he was setting out to prove, and is setting out to prove. And I think he wants his his Wimbledon moment. I think he's going to yeah. get something like that this year. And Probably call it crits, and it'll be crazy when he's the first of the big four to retire. I think, I mean, now that I've seen Wozniacki and Sibokova go and Radwanska, the men's tour is going to have some more hits. I mean, we lost Thomas Burdich. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, it's feeling more normal to see them retire. So Murray being next seems believable. Yeah, Ferrer last year as well too. So yeah, we're, we're... I saw his his last match in Madrid. That was wow. that was a lot. It was. It was a long ceremony. They really, they really honored him. Really, properly. really was long. Some more paintings in there too. Uh, <laughs> Nina, best of luck on everything. Uh, continued success with your podcast uh, as it just keeps growing and growing. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll have to revisit some of these picks in the uh, near future. 
Yeah, thanks for having me anytime, and I appreciate the plug, Tennis.com podcast, always. Big thanks again to both guests, Gunnar Ludwig and Nina Pantic. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. A reminder that you can catch every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect, and it pops right up. And uh, one other thing, too, uh, just all this coaching news in the NHL, I just wanted to bring that up. The Stars fired Jim Montgomery for unprofessional conduct. We don't even know officially what that is, so let the speculation begin there. And Peter DeBoer of the San Jose Sharks fired as well. Five coaches, I think, now fired already in the NHL, and we're not even at Christmas. It's a desperate time for a lot of these franchises. We'll have more hockey talk uh, probably next week. I think we're going to have a long hockey discussion as well. But follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, and check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for all original content from myself and my star-studded, talented guests. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep enjoying sports. 